Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast. We are going to be talking about issues in the church, war in the church. Who are we to agree with? Which side do we take? It seems like people are creating sides, perhaps needlessly. A lot of people are saying that the Pope is on the, in the wrong. A lot of people are saying Bishop Strickland is in the wrong. And what about v- Vigano? And what about Altman? And all of these other people who a lot of people have questions about today. Are they going too far or are they the voice of orthodoxy? And so today to join us, we have a guest who has been here several times before. His name is Michael Lofton, and he is going to be discussing the facts about this. We don't care about our opinions. You know, I think too many people get emotional about these things. They get angry about these things without reading the facts, without studying the facts. Too many Catholics, I think, and I'm just going to say this out loud, they're reading their their facts come from the news media. Their facts come from uh, hysteria. Their facts come from other people who haven't done actual research. And I think it's need it's time that we. I mean, in, in the Catholic Church, we have a steep tradition of intellectualism, of high education, and today. I see so much knee-jerk reactions. I see people yelling and screaming at each other, condemning each other. And how about we just look at the facts? That's what we're going to do today. And if you don't know Michael, he has a master's degree in theology. He's also working on his doctorate in theology. He's a Catholic speaker, YouTuber, um, radio um, personality. He's on EWTN, Catholic Answers, Sirius Satellite Radio, Ave Maria. And he has his own... uh, Reason and Theology YouTube channel, which we will link below. He's also the founder of St. Maximus the Confessor uh, Institution, and he is a wonderful guy who is talking about a lot of the issues in the church today. And a lot of people, I posted one thing on Instagram, you know, uh, Michael, and it was like hitting a bee's nest with a baseball bat, you know, just about (laughs) Bishop Strickland. And uh, it's like people were like, I was like, well, I'm just going by the facts. Like, what are the facts? Give me the facts. And so I pretty much sent them, you know, to your video, you know, where you were just going through mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, welcome to the show. That's what we're going to be Thank talking you. about today. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on. It's an honor. Yeah, of course. Um, and I really do want to be objective about this. I don't want to demonize either side. There's, we shouldn't be at war in the church. Sure. I really just want to look at the facts. And I know you agree with that. Um, but, you know, here's my concern, Michael. Yeah. My concern is that, for a long time, you know, th- there's been too many liberals and modernists in the church trying to change church teachings, mm-hmm. trying to water them down, trying to get women clergy and all these other things. And we've had a good representative of Orthodox bishops calling them out. And we were all happy about that, you know, as they should. They should be calling out these things in the church. That's a good thing. Um, and we've all kind of attached ourselves to these conservative bishops. We have maybe even kind of um, maybe attached ourselves too much to them because now I feel like recently, very recently, some of them are going off the rails. Some of them are walking off the cliff completely, and some of them are just eh, maybe questionable. So now the people that we were looking to, the people we were, you know, confiding in, we were looking to fight our battles against modernism for us, have almost seemed to throw the baby out with the bathwater. They've almost seemed to swing the pendulum too far to the other side, to the fact where they're now saying problematic things. They're saying things that are not in line with the church teaching or theology. And that's concerning to me. So maybe you can briefly comment on that and maybe why perhaps this is happening, your take on it all. 
while we're seeing people who are starting to dissent from the church and the magisterium specifically or yeah 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 or just saying yeah problematic statements against the pope the pope's a heretic i mean in the extreme sense the pope's you know the antichrist you know in lesser senses you know he's just you know teaching heresy or we can follow the or acknowledge the pope but we don't need to obey him or follow him things like that yeah i think it's multifaceted i mean one of the observations i suppose that i've made would be um that whenever this pontificate began it was very clear in the news that pope francis was being portrayed especially in the secular news as a liberal who is here to change the agenda of the church and i think eventually that really began to be adopted within catholic media and catholic circles to the point that that's the way people saw pope francis and at that point they began this narrative that okay well pope francis is at war with the church and is at war with tradition and therefore he is at war with jesus and whenever a person begins with that premise you know that the pope is attacking the church and attacking Jesus's teachings, they're likely not going to give him the time of day. They're likely not going to judge him with any kind of patience. They're they're usually going to go over what he says in the most critical way, read it in the worst possible way, be very unlikely to give him the benefit of the doubt or the judgment of charity. Um, and so they'll generally read him in the worst possible way and then critique it accordingly. Um, and then that spills over into other people who then see Pope Francis like that. And the narrative continues to grow and grow exponentially. The more people disseminate that fake news uh, on social media, the more people see that they're conditioned to believe it. They don't think through it critically. They're already predisposed to think about Pope Francis negatively. And thus the narrative continues to to get stronger and stronger and stronger and it's harder and harder and harder to dispel people from that with the facts um number two i think that people have also adopted many people many catholics have adopted a theological air i noticed this early on and i've been doing everything i can to try to offset it but i noticed it was assumed that the pope can teach heresy in his magisterium in his teaching authority. And if you assume that, and you believe that the current Pope is at war with the church and at war with the teachings of Jesus, it's only a matter of time before you're going to say he is teaching heresy. And now you're going to begin to dissent against his teachings rather than assent to his teachings with religious submission of intellect and will, you're going to say, no, this guy is at war with the, with the church and he is a heretic. And I'm not going to assent to that. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to push back. I'm going to fight against it. So I think that that's probably why we're seeing this kind of dissent, fake news, a false narrative about Pope Francis. And we're assuming a faulty understanding of the magisterium and its ability to err. I want to talk about Bishop Strickland and uh, Altman and Vigano and a lot of these other things, you know, because a lot of people have questions on them, like, you know, what, 
really Strickland? What did he do wrong? Nothing. He's fine. Pope just hates him because he's conservative. But before I get there real quick, I mean, do you think that online media has a huge presence in this? Like, for example, like I see, you know, Taylor Marshall pumping out this stuff. The Pope's a heretic. The Pope's a heretic. And, you know, people like um, Church Militant, for example, tore him a new one, just ripped him apart for two heresies he accused the Pope of. And they accused him of pretty much being unstudied and attacking the Pope falsely because the Pope was not a heretic in these matters. And they didn't distinguish between any kind of heresy, formal heresy, material heresy, teaching heresy, or anything like that. It's just everybody throws out these statements now. He's a heretic. He's a heretic. Oh, you're a heretic. You disagree with me? You're a heretic. It's like nobody understands what this word even means anymore. Well, I think that might be part of the problem is that maybe we were not very keen on what the term means. Um, the way people tend to use the term these days is you said something that I don't like, or you said something that I don't think is traditional. Um, but heresy has a more specific meaning than that. And so heresy is a denial of a dogma by somebody who has been baptized. So someone post-baptism who denies something that is dogmatic in nature. Dogmatic is, or dogma is that which has been revealed by God and the church has confirmed it as revealed by God. That's a dogma. Um, so, so not just saying anything that's wrong or something that's wrong. Correct. Right. So there's grades of error. There's actually a uh, pretty um, wide range of errors. Um, at the very top is heresy. That's the worst possible error you can commit in theology. But then there are lower grades of error that are not heresy, but they are error. That, that is, the proposition isn't true. And then even below that, there are errors to where <clears throat> the proposition is true, but it's expressed poorly, or it's misleading, or it sounds bad, or it sounds scandalous, or it's rash, and so on. Uh, so there, there's, again, a wide range there <clears throat> of error. And um, once we're more aware of that, then we can be a little bit more guarded in our accusations of heresy. But the other issue here is that um, people are assuming the magisterium can teach heresy as long as it does so in a setting that is not infallible in nature. So as long as the Pope is not teaching ex cathedra, or as long as an ecumenical council isn't teaching in a solemn definition, a person often says, a Catholic often thinks these days, well, that teaching authority can teach heresy. So an ecumenical council can teach heresy. You mentioned Taylor Marshall. He accuses Vatican II of teaching the heresy of Pelagianism. Um, and he also accuses Pope Francis of teaching heresy, or you mentioned Strickland. Well, Strickland has signed a document for over a year now publicly saying that Desiderio Desideravi, a document by Pope Francis, an apostolic letter, so it's magisterial, he says that that teaches contrary to a dogma. Now, when you teach contrary to a dogma, what is that? Well, that's heresy, right? And so he is saying that the Pope has taught heresy there. Um, so there are many instances where people are now saying, well, the magisterium itself is teaching heresy. Now, they, they won't say, well, this was ex cathedra or this was a solemn definition of Vatican II. They won't say that. They'll say, but these are authentic teachings of the magisterium and they're in heresy. Now, that's a theological error. The magisterium actually cannot teach heresy. It might be able to teach something that is in error whenever it teaches non-infallibly, but that is on the lower level of that spectrum of the grades of error, not on the highest level, which is the error of heresy. 
And that is a distinction that most most Catholics are missing right now. And it's a point that I've been trying to bring forward to people so that they um, don't jump from the claim that, well, just because this wasn't taught, or a lot of people will say, well, because this wasn't taught infallibly, it can automatically be heresy. There's a middle position here. Yes, maybe the teaching isn't infallible. It could even be an error, but it won't be of the grade of heresy. It won't be so erroneous that it is destructive to your soul if you assent to it. And doesn't heresy have to be, I mean, you have to be called out for heresy and you have to reject it in order to be a heretic and all these other things that people don't even acknowledge. Um, you know, well, they quote, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut No, you go over. ahead. Well, I was just going to say, well, yeah, you're you're right. You're you're absolutely right. There, there's a distinction between a person maybe being a material heretic or a formal heretic or a manifest heretic. So those terms would mean material heretic is I don't know that I'm teaching heresy or I'm speaking heresy, right? I don't know it. I, I might hold to a heresy, but I don't know. So my will isn't involved. And if I had known that that's heresy, I would not have maintained it. So it's a there's a level of ignorance there. That's material heresy. There's also formal heresy where you know better and your your will assents to it and says, I know it's heresy, but I still hold to it. I'm obstinate. I'm I'm either holding to it or I'm obstinately doubting. Um, and then there's also um something like manifest heresy. Sometimes you'll see it defined differently by different individuals, but usually manifest heresy. Uh, what well, could mean a person who has actually not only a formal heretic, but they have been rebuked twice by the proper authorities over their soul. And they still say, I'm still going to hold to it, even after having been uh, rebuked twice by the proper authorities. At that point, you're a manifest heretic. And so, yeah, there's different distinctions involved that are made here. And we can certainly say this when it comes to the, let's say maybe the Pope. The Pope could be at just in his private person in a state of material heresy. In other words, the Pope in his private person could be ignorant about a matter that is dogmatic, and he could thus deny a dogma um, in that sense. He could never, however, uh, as Pope, formally accept that dog uh, that that heresy, knowing that he's now denying a dogma. So, in other words, he can't be a formal heretic. And then there's another distinction: he certainly couldn't teach the heresy in his magisterium. So, could he, in his private person, materially be in a state of heresy? Yes, in his private person, he would not be a formal heretic, and he definitely would never teach heresy in his magisterium. And we can all, of course, talk about cases like Honorius, John the 22nd, or Liberius and others. Those are usually brought up by Protestants and others, but now Catholics, uh, to oh, say that the Pope can teach heresy. And it's like, no, actually, those cases don't prove what you're trying to say here. No. And now Catholics are starting to sound like Protestants, and they're being poisoned by Orthodox and SSPX and all these other people who are sounding Protestants. It's an unbelievable, actually. So for all the people calling the Pope a heretic, it's not possible. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, he, yeah. he can't be a heretic and he's not teaching heresy. If you're saying he's teaching heresy, he can't. Because otherwise the gates of hell will have prevailed. Jesus is a liar. He didn't send the spirit to guide the church into all truth. And the church is not the pillar and foundation of truth. I mean, A plus B equals C. So, <laughs> and, the, and um, the magisterium backs that notion up that it can't do this. Otherwise, it would be defecting from the faith. 
Didn't Robert Bellarmine say that too? I mean, a lot of people use Bellarmine against the Pope and say like, oh, he says if he teaches heresy, he's out. But did he really teach that? So Bellarmine did not believe that a Pope could ever be a heretic or teach heresy. He would say that, okay, a Pope could be in a state of material heresy, which I grant, but he did not believe a Pope could be a formal heretic. And he also explicitly maintained that a pope could never teach heresy which is why he showed honorius didn't teach heresy john the 22nd didn't teach heresy and he goes through a bunch of protestant objections and shows in each one of those cases those popes never taught heresy so he believed the pope could never teach heresy but what he would do is people would ask him okay but if the pope somehow could we know you don't believe he can and we understand but just a thought experiment here if he could teach heresy would he automatically lose office or would some kind of council have to declare him losing office? And he took the opinion, and it was just an opinion, he took the opinion that, well, if the Pope was rebuked twice for teaching heresy and he's still resisting it, he's now a manifest heretic, and Bellarmine believed he would then automatically lose office. But Bellarmine never believed that this would happen. He's just giving a thought experiment. He believed no Pope would ever teach heresy. So it's kind of a irrelevant thought experiment because it's never going to happen anyway. And I think Gothics need to know that. I remember watching a video once on your channel where you went through a long quote about by Robert Bellarmine saying that the Pope cannot teach heresy. And so for the people who are saying that the Bellarmine says he's a heretic, no, he's not. And you're misusing Bellarmine, not using him in context and not looking at everything else he said. So we need to be more intellectually honest rather than, you know, knee-jerk emotional about all of these things. Which um, is why I highly recommend anybody who think, thinks the Pope can teach heresy, read Bellarmine's work on the Roman pontiff, and he gives page after page after page defending the popes who have been accused of heresy, and he shows they didn't teach heresy. Amen. Um, so let's get to Bishop Strickland, because a lot of people are confused about that on both sides. And Mm -hmm. A lot of people are yelling and screaming at the other side. There's lines being formed. You know, it's like you're either on yeah. the, the Orthodox side, the ch Catholic Church side with Strickland, or mm -hmm. you're on the heretic side with the Pope who got rid of him. Like, that's the way it seems on social media in many places. So maybe you could just go over and just give the, you know, a brief overview of the facts here, things he said about the Pope, par perhaps some concerning things, etc., yeah, well, a couple points. I mean, first, as far as people's disposition that you mentioned at the beginning there, it's so odd that people would side with a local bishop over and against the Pope. That's the very definition of schism, effectively, um, is submitting to the authority of a local bishop against the authority of the Bishop of Rome. That's a refusal to submit to the Bishop of Rome. And thus, it is the definition of schism. So in other words... I, I honestly do believe many Catholics right now are in a state of material schism. Some are formally schismatics, especially if they're saying there is no Pope, there is no Pope, if they're a set of a contest, that's formal schism. But many Catholics have not yet crossed the line into formal schism, but they're materially in schism. In the same way that you can be a material heretic and, and you don't know it, you can have the matter of schism and you don't yet know it. Um, now, as far as some of the issues um, with Strickland, look, I thoroughly maintain Bishop Strickland, and I've interviewed him multiple times. 
I believe he's a good man who loves Jesus and is trying to do the right thing and believes he's doing the right thing and believes he is speaking the truth. I believe and for the record, I've always loved Bishop Strickland. Yeah. You know, I like him. I believe that. I believe he's a good man. He's sincere. I don't have any kind of reason to say that it's it's otherwise. Okay. So let me say that very clearly. That being said, I do think that Bishop Strickland has been misled by very bad influences around him who have pointed him in the wrong direction and given him some very bad information. And it seems to me, or it's manifestly clear, he has bought into some propaganda about Pope Francis, a lot of fake news about him. So he is right now under the impression that Pope Francis is in error on some of these things, hence his signature on the document saying that he is teaching heresy. Um, so he's under that impression. So he thinks he's doing the right thing. The problem is the premise. It's actually wrong. Pope Francis hasn't taught heresy, and Pope Francis isn't at war with the church, and Pope Francis isn't now opening the door to gay blessings or things like that. These are some of the things that he has bought into, some of that fake news and propaganda that is out there. He has unfortunately bought into those things, and nobody in his circle, it would seem, has really come and said, hey, Bishop Strickland, hey, how have you considered this other stuff that shows you that the stuff you're being fed is fake news? Have you considered this that Pope Francis has said? I feel like he doesn't have anybody close to him in, the, in his circle to do that. And so it looks to me like here's a good bishop who has been manipulated by wolves. That seems to be a common theme, correct me if I'm wrong, with a lot of the conservative bishops. It's like the conservative movement is, and there's nothing wrong with being conservative, it's a good thing, and it's, you know, if you're faithful to the church. Um, but a lot of people are like, oh, these are the good bishops, these are the good bishops, we're going to hang on to them. But even people on the rad trad side love how they, and um, by rad trad, not talking about Latin mass Catholics, I'm talking about people who reject the Pope who reject his authority, who reject the magisterium, who say they can error, et cetera, et cetera, and even go so far as to call them the Antichrist and things like that. So radical traditionalists also love these men because they're calling out heresy. They're calling out modernism. They're calling out things in the church that should be called out. So a lot of the extreme people who love that also attach themselves to these people. And these are the loud people on social media. These are the angry you know, apologists who condemn everybody who's not them. And they get their ear, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they influence these people a lot and they've become huge on social media. They've become, become huge in articles on YouTube. And so I feel like they're seen as conservative, but if without proper theological training, and that's odd to say, you might not recognize the flaws in a lot of their arguments and be you know, led astray by them. Yeah, they've gained a lot of traction for a couple reasons. They certainly are calling out some legitimate concerns and errors. Right. And and so I can get on board with them when they do that. And yes. I could totally see why people would say, hey, this is a good and trustworthy person because they're rightly calling out some of these problems in the church, liberalism or modernism or whatever it may be. Um, but then the problem is they have also bought into and now are propagating fake news and propaganda about Pope Francis and even some theological errors and disseminating materially schismatic positions. And so 
there's a mixture of air with truth in what they're disseminating. And it's going to be a little bit harder for people to pick that off and discern that because number one, they're saying some really good things. So it sounds like they're on the side of truth. And then number two, the average person has heard for over 10 years now that Pope Francis is a liberal, he's a heretic, he's at war with the church. They've heard it and have been conditioned to believe that so much that it's really hard to break that narrative. And so whenever these personalities say something way out of bounds about Pope Francis, it sounds right because they've been conditioned to believe this stuff for over 10 years. There's a lot of conditioning there. But for a person who takes a step back, looks further into the issues, looks under the hood, digs deeper, they realize, oh, wait, this person says some good stuff here, but then they're saying some really wildly bad stuff over here. And it's like, wait, you know, we've overcorrected <laughs> some of the concerns that we've seen here. We're overcorrecting and we're now offering a position that's just as bad as the very one we're correcting. So I think that's kind of why a lot of people, um, uh, are, are following some of these personalities and why they've gained so much traction. It's harder for people to see what their errors are. And that was uh, the case with Bishop Strickland too, right? He said some problematic stuff recently. Well, this yeah. far as a year back. Yeah, he, he certainly has not only in, in judging the Pope's magisterium, but also, um, you know, sharing very, very slanderous statements about Pope Francis, like sharing on social media statements that Pope Francis is a diabolical, disoriented clown. Um, you know, he'll say the video that says those things and many other wild things about the Pope. He'll say, hey, this is a great video, and he'll share it on social media. And it's like the the level of prudence and, and wisdom behind sharing some of those things is, is deeply troubling. And so um, he, he certainly has promoted and disseminated uh, material that takes very, very atrocious views of Pope Francis in some cases, um, as well as, again, a disposition of dissent against the magisterium in some cases. Yeah, and, and if I would uh, lead people to your channel, Reason and Theology, if they would like to learn more, you go through every letter, you know, he said, word by word, line by line, you go through videos, interviews, problematic um, videos that he shows, you know, and a uh, letter that he read from somebody else, which was extremely, extremely problematic. They sounded like a state of a contest and he didn't seem to condemn it in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actually going to be addressing that here in a little bit too, because he has come back and attempted to <clears throat> explain himself on that particular matter and just sneak peek. What he's effectively saying is that, well, you know, I don't agree with everything in there. I just kind of read it this particular way. And at the very least, that shows incredibly poor discernment on his part and a lack of prudence and wisdom in sharing that material. Um, so yeah, at the at the very least, it's it's deeply troubling because of the lack of wisdom and the lack of discernment from the letter that was read, the lack of discernment of what the person is actually saying. Um, to me, yeah. To me, it seems like that's like a Protestant attacking the church. And of course, it's not the same apples and oranges, but, you know, attacking the church. And 
me reading a letter saying, this is a great letter. This is a great letter. And then people just jumping down my throat. And so I come back out and say, okay, I don't, obviously I don't agree with everything they said in the letter. So, okay, what do you agree with? And what don't you agree with? And why am I reading a letter that's so hostile to the church in the first place, if you don't agree with it, because a lot of people are going to take that and run with it. You're a trusted figure that people trust. Yeah. Spot on. I mean, ultimately his, his answers, none of them justify the action um all it does is at least in my mind clear him of any charges of um malice against the holy father in other words i think that he was operating out of good faith but he was not discerning enough to understand what the letter said and um he was also not wise enough to not read this letter um so yeah i mean it's 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 deeply troubling uh but at least it reassures me that he did not intend to um you, you know slander the holy father or something like that yeah unlike other people who have gone off the cliff like um altman who has just way off there now vegano and other people like that but before we get to them i want to get to altman in one second um you know Padre Peel, you know, was attacked, you know, and he was told to take a hike, you know, by proper authorities. And what did he do? He took a hike, you know, even though he disagreed. John of the Cross, he was put in prison for like nine months because they didn't like him trying to reform the church. What did he do? Did he get out there and call him heretics? No, he prayed and he fasted. I mean, the way of the saints is prayer and fasting, deep prayer and deep fasting. Do we do that today? No, we don't. We know what we do. We do loud yelling, loud screaming, and loud condemnations. It's the same thing Martin Luther did. Yap, 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 yap. But there is no holiness about his life. What holiness do we have? People say, yeah, but St. Catherine of Siena called out the Pope. Yes, she also had a great relationship with the Pope. And she also, if you read her writings, did so with the clearest charity and humility and love for the Pope and for the truth. She never was going against him. She was always with him. And I think that's a big difference with the saints versus rebels. She also <laughs> never accused them of teaching heresy. So there, there's also a big difference between <laughs> her and her and Strickland there. Uh, let me talk about Padre Pio uh, since you bring him up. So when Padre Pio was unjustly disciplined by the Vatican, his response was to obey and be silent. Now, there were fans of Padre Pio, uh, followers of Padre Pio, who protested publicly the the decision, publicly protested the decision because they said this is unjust. And it was unjust. Now, what was Padre Pio's reaction? Padre Pio wrote to his bishop condemning the protesters, not condemning the Vatican, condemning the protesters, saying, I in no way condone this i'm telling them to stop doing this stop protesting for me i submit to you and the vatican now in all charity is that the approach that bishop strickland has taken no or any of the catholics today on that side instead i see them protesting in him there in their presence with them and so i see a stark contrast between the way someone like padre pio handled an unjust decision and the way perhaps Strickland is handling a just decision, because frankly, it is a just decision. 
Now we can speak about, well, perhaps some other bishops should be getting some just decisions and removed too. I agree. But that doesn't Germany. necessarily mean yeah, yeah, Germany. That doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't a just removal in the case of Strickland. It was. And that's what's so sad and unfortunate because here was a good man who could have been a great bishop if he had not overcorrected, gone too far, and been misled by people around him. This is what happens when a bishop, a good man, buys into fake news from pseudo-traditionalists. This is what happens. A good bishop gets rightly disciplined. That's and, the fruit of pseudo-traditionalism. And it's also the fruit of disobedience, thinking that you can disobey the Pope or the magisterium. That is a huge, that's just, you're going the wrong way at that point. And Padre Pio said, if you don't obey, obedience to the church is obedience to God himself. Jesus said that. And so if we're not, obey, if we're taking the side of someone who's not the church, if we're not, God, not God's supreme pontiff, he's a holy and anointed in a sense, like, we're going the wrong way. We're on the wrong side every time, you know, because God is guiding the church, not individuals. Um, and I want to talk about Father Altman. You know, every one of us loved Father Altman. We just, I love to listen to him preach. I love the fact that he called out things, you know, but one of his problems is he won't obey. And once we get into the Tertullian mode and where we think we know more than the church and even we're really smart, we're really mm, popular but we won't obey. And that leads us down, down, down to where he is today. I mean, maybe you could tell us where he is today. Well, he's he's a set of a contest who doesn't know he's a set of a contest. Um, so a set of a contest is a person who believes that currently there is no Pope. That's all a set of a contest means. He does say there is no Pope right now. So he's a set of a contest. But when people bring it up to him, so Father, you're teaching set of contism, he says no, because he understands set of a contism to be not that you just believe there's no Pope currently, but that you also believe John Paul II wasn't Pope, that Benedict wasn't Pope, and so on. And it's like, wait, wait, that's a particular kind of set of a contest, but that's not the only kind. It's kind of exactly. like saying, it's like a Methodist telling you, I'm not a Protestant. It's like, well, wait, hold on. You're a Methodist, right? And they say, well, yeah, I'm a Methodist, but I'm not a Presbyterian. And you say, wait, hold on. Hold on. Both Methodists and Presbyterians <laughs> are under this umbrella term known as Protestant. In other words, a set of a contism uh, in the way that um, Altman expresses it is is one kind there's another kind that also says that even benedict wasn't pope that even john paul ii was a pope all the way going back to john the 23rd that's another kind of set of a contest but they're all under this umbrella of a general version of set of contism there's just then different kinds so he doesn't even know that he's a set of contest but he's a set of contest it's it's a little odd um so he, yes, he does not believe that the Pope uh, is actually the Pope. He believes there is no Pope, which means that he's in schism because there actually is a Pope right now and he doesn't recognize his authority. That's the definition of schism. So currently, uh, Father Altman is in schism. Um, it has been verified with his chancery that he is not allowed to present himself as a priest, but he still continues to present himself as a priest. Um, he maintains that Pope Francis basically should have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the deep blue sea, to use his terms. Um, so he's a quite, quite an interesting figure. He says that Pope Francis can't go to hell soon enough. 
and he prays that he goes to hell and goes to hell as quickly as possible so that he can't continue to damn more souls. Uh, so again, that's kind of where Altman is at right now. It reminds me of that extremist pastor, uh, Pastor Steve Anderson, who is a nutcase. He, um, he says, you know, like he's talking about LGBTQ people, you know, it's like, he's like, oh, you want to know what I think of them? I hope they all burn. In fact, I can't wait for them to burn. Like, this is a mindset. Like, it's he, not that I, I hope that they convert or I want them to know the love of Christ, or I hope that they come to know the truth. It's, I want them to burn. Because Anderson believes they can't receive repentance. he That's a theological error. Right. You know, a person who engages in same-sex acts can repent and turn away from sin. And they're, they can be reached with God's grace. Can and many have. Uh, but he has the theological error that a person who engages in that behavior can never be saved. So in other words, he wants to say, well, I can't wait for them to burn in hell soon enough because he doesn't believe that they could ever be saved. But it's it's a lack of charity on Altman's part. It's like, you know, like, oh, I'm not, it's like, it doesn't even sound like he's praying for the Pope. I just can't wait for him to be gone and go to hell. It's like, it's terrible. It's like of the worst thing you could say. It's like not even remotely a Catholic mindset. It's not even remotely a Catholic attitude. It's perhaps as bad or worse than the Protestant reformers who are calling him the Antichrist. I don't even know what yeah. to make of it or how he got there so quickly. Yeah. And, and oddly enough, Strickland, when he shared that letter, he didn't understand this, but the person in the letter also accuses Pope Francis of being the Antichrist. Uh, kind of interesting, right? That a person who would claim to be Catholic writes a letter that says that the Pope is the Antichrist when that's literally a Protestant uh, claim <laughs> literally uh, so yeah it's a little and it's i have little that coming odd. out on sunday uh john MacArthur, we're debunking his video this sunday and uh or maybe last sunday depending on when this goes up but he goes through all of the protestant reformers and they all call him the antichrist over and over and over the pope is this pope is that and it's like now we have catholics doing that yeah it's odd how similar the pseudo traditionalists are to the protestant reformers um, which is why I will continue to put forward the thesis that we're seeing a new Protestant Reformation. It is obviously a little different than the one in the 16th century, uh, because the current Protestant reformers do believe, at least nominally, they'll say they believe, in stuff like Vatican I or the Marian dogmas, the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption, whereas the 16th century reformers don't believe any of those things, and they don't hold the Council of Trent or something. Uh, whereas, again, the pseudo-traditionalists today claim they hold to the Council of Trent. Again, I don't believe that they do entirely, but they will say that they do. Um so there's obviously some differences, you know, mm -hmm. in the liturgy they celebrate and things like that with the 16th century reformers. But at the core of what we're seeing with the pseudo-traditionalists or radical traditionalists, whatever you want to call it, at the core is the same error as Protestantism. What was the core error? The core error was Martin Luther at his Here I Stand speech. He wants to say that ultimately his conscience gets to judge the magisterium. And that is what the new pseudo-traditionalists, the new Protestant reformers are doing today. They say, I get to sit in judgment of the teachings of the magisterium. So if I think this teaching of Vatican II is wrong, I sit in judgment of it. If I think this teaching of Pope Francis is wrong, I sit in judgment of it. Rather than saying, okay, well, here's the teaching of the church. 
it corrects an error of mine. I am now going to correct my error and then assent to the teaching. That would be Catholic. They do the exact opposite. They say the church is saying something I don't agree with and I think is an error. Therefore, I will now sit in judgment of the magisterium. That's the core. That's at the heart of Protestantism. So in other words, we're seeing a new Protestant Reformation and we won't be alive to see it. We won't be alive to see it. Maybe somebody will pull up this video 100 or 200 years from now. Who knows? We won't be alive to see it, but I can absolutely guarantee what is taking place today with the pseudo-traditionalists, what is forming right now in front of us, will one day be a separate church, a parallel church, a church that broke away from the Catholic Church, and it will be another Protestantism, a, just a different kind that looks a little different. Just like today, we still have Protestants going back to the 16th century. Or another Orthodox or another order, you're going to see a new schism, a new parallel church. It's already being formed as we speak. We're already seeing signs of it. A mm -hmm. hundred years from now, it will be a, a separate, clearly distinct entity apart from and against the Catholic Church. It's a little hard whenever a schism begins and a parallel church begins. It's a little hard to see it in real time. It takes decades, if not even centuries, to see it actually established. Like if you were there when Martin Luther was doing what he was doing, at certain points in his ministry, it's kind of hard to see that this is going to turn into a completely separate thing, you know, in about 50 years or so. It's a little hard to see that in real time. You can see evidence that it might go there if you're perceptive enough, but it's a little harder to see, you know, just day after day. But when you take a step back, it's then easier to see how this thing began, how it turned into what it turned into after 50 years. So again, a person who knows church history knows how schisms begin. I think that they would they could look at the situation today and say, this is another schism that is being formed. Mm -hmm. And it might be 100 years from now, but this will one day be a separate parallel church. <clears throat> so beware, people. Beware. I mean, there's going to be a lot of confusion out there. And you ask, well, what side do you take? It's such a no-brainer. You take the side of the church. As soon as you take any other side, no matter what side that is, no matter who it is, you've become Protestant. You are protesting the Pope. Every religion in the world, every Christian religion has one thing in common, including the Orthodox, SSPX, and all of them. They're not in union with the Pope. They reject the Pope in some way. Some acknowledge him on paper, but not in actuality. Whereas Protestants, Orthodox, they reject the Pope. So when people reject the Pope, what are you becoming? You're becoming Protestant. That's what it is. It's protesting. Now, the, the really scary thing is, is the demonic pride, right from the pit of hell, it's demonic pride that we think we know better than the church. We think we know more than the Pope. We think we know more than the Holy Spirit who has guided the church for 2,000 years. God has appointed us to fight this heresy when in fact God has appointed the church to fight heresy, the church. And even though, even if there's bad popes, even if you don't like everything this pope says or does, and some of the things he says are a little bit sketchy, hello, Jesus is still guiding his church. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide it into all truth, not some truth, all truth. 
1 Timothy 3.15 says the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. So choose wisely. There are only two options, the church, which is in union with St. Peter, or everything else. And let me just say that there's been a lot of brilliant people in history, some of the biggest giants in the church, like Origen and Tertullian, who wrote more than like everybody else or many other people, and yet they went astray toward the end of their lives. There are many people who have been brilliant and who have gone the wrong way, who have separated from the church. Photius comes to mind, brilliant person who refused to submit to the church. So it's, I mean, one thing after another down through history is the same, it's the same as same. This is just one more of the same. Sorry, it's a little bit of a tangent, but um, maybe we can go to, if you don't mind, uh, I don't know how much time you have, but I would like to talk about Vigano because a lot of people bring up sure. Vigano and talk about how he's really speaking the truth about the Pope when he, yeah, I liked Vigano. He had great stuff to say. He, at some point, he just started rejecting the Pope, the Magisterium, Vatican II, and many problematic statements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little troubling. And, and also kind of looking back in retrospect, it, it turns out even some of his initial claims that he was making about the Pope behind the scenes turned out to be false. And so um, it kind of seems like from day one, he was providing us some faulty information, unfortunately, but he's really gone off the rails, you know, become unhinged. And he also is a set of a contest. He doesn't believe Pope Francis is the Pope, but, you know, you'll, you'll find him. Uh, LifeSite News even describes him as overseeing a community um, of canceled priests who are celebrating now illicit liturgies uh, in disobedience to the local bishop and the pope. And so, in other words, he is now overseeing the beginning of a parallel schismatic church. Um, and they're pretty open about him doing that on LifeSite News. And it's like, literally, this is evidence of a parallel church that is being established. This is the very definition of it. Whenever you start to hold uh, liturgies um, that are not in communion with a local bishop. Now, they'll try to couch it and say it is in communion, but no, it's being done in disobedience. So it's not in communion. I don't care if you say the name of the bishop, the bishop's telling you don't do this and you're doing it anyway. So you're not in communion. So, uh, and, and the priests that are serving don't have the, uh, faculties. And so they don't have, um, any, any license to do this. In other words, um, so, yeah, unfortunately, Vigano has taken a very troubling turn in the last few years, promoting all sorts of wild propaganda about Pope Francis to the point that um, it, you, you do have to start to wonder perhaps about maybe his the state of his mental health with, with some of the things he says. To be frank, I'm not trying to be mean, but with some of the things he says, you do have to wonder, OK, well, maybe this guy isn't just trying to be a dissenter. Maybe there is an issue going on here cognitively but I, I don't want to try to psychoanalyze the guy and i'm not a medical medical doctor but it does seem a little apparent in some of his writings you have a couple of the ideas of things he said that have really way off the mark i mean he's starting to promote the view of uh russia is going to uh save the world basically <laughs> it's just wild stuff like russia's the third rome kind of stuff it's just weird for anybody who uh claims to be a catholic to accept eastern orthodox um propaganda <laughs> so it's a little odd 
Um, excuse me. And in, in addition to just wild claims made about Pope Francis or what took place behind the scenes that um, doesn't appear to be true anymore, and uh, at least from what we could verify, doesn't appear to be true. Um, so that being said, at the very least, there's a lot of theological error and a lot of dissent that he promotes. So that's kind of the state of things with Vigano. Yeah, it's really sad, um, you know, that people have gone off the rails. And you know what? After COVID, a lot of people's mental health suffered. A lot of people who were had a life raft and could stay above water have gone below water. And I've noticed personally that people who have taken during COVID, it was vaccine or no vaccine. We're not taking sides here. It doesn't matter for this for the for the point. But if you got on one side or the other and you just became hardcore. And you started demonizing the other side, or right. if you started, you know, anti-Trump or for Trump, and you started demonizing the other side, I noticed a lot of people started to suffer heavily with mental yeah. health, and a lot of people started taking extreme um, positions that were yeah. very unalterable, and they became very fastened in their places. And that I've seen Catholics in the church have this, and I've seen it in the hierarchy have this. And I question some people's mental health. And I can't, again, I don't want to psychoanalyze people either, but the things they're doing, they should not be doing as Catholics. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a good observation that kind of around the time of COVID, a lot of people started to really go overboard and haven't really recovered from that mentally and spiritually. I think you're right about that. It was around that time. I had one friend who was, you know, mostly stable, <laughs> but after COVID, you know, he jumped on the extreme train and now he's not even in seminary anymore. He's not even a Christian anymore. He's like a pansexual. Like so people I know have literally mm. just jumped off the cliff and they were good people. They were yeah. defenders of the church. So you yeah. can always have defenders of the church who are good people mm -hmm. on the wrong side. And that's what I want to let you all know out there is that we love these people. We care for them. We're not against them. You know, we're just on the side of the church. And anyone who attacks the church you know, we're going to call that out. Oh, so you're just, you know, you and Lofton are just Pope splainers. You know, we're we're tired of all you Pope splainers. You know, and hello, we don't mind calling out, you know, the Pope in humility and charity, or if there's something that's not quite accurate, or if something's a little confusing, or if he did something a little interesting, we don't mm -hmm. mind calling that out. But we're also not going to sit there and let you be Protestants. You know, oh, the Pope said Jesus, you know, didn't you know suffer on the cross and his death was a failure. Why are Catholics quoting Protestant talking points who don't even care about the truth anyways? Why have been Protestants, Catholics from the beginning have been saying, oh, he's promoting homosexuality, all this stuff. I've made a video on that. I quoted the facts. He upheld the teaching of the church. He quoted Benedict. He quoted the, the long tradition of the church. He came down on the side of tradition, and that's still not good enough for people. He said he can't bless sin, but some people just don't care. That's what I'm trying to get all the normal people in the middle. <laughs> you know, in the middle who are confused about all this to see that there are two sides and one is becoming very extremist. Mm. You just want to stay in the in, uh, on the side of the church. You can't go wrong there. Oh, well said. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And, you know, some people might say, well, isn't Pope Francis just confusing? Doesn't he say confusing things on those topics you just mentioned? And I want to say, I, whatever level of confusion there might be coming from Pope Francis, it pales in comparison to the confusion caused by his critics. The critics cause and they will put a spin on what he says and they will then 
create an artificial controversy and confusion and make it look like Pope Francis was unclear when, if you just look at what Pope Francis said, 98% of the time he's not clear. Maybe 2% of the time there's a lack of clarity. We can talk about that. We can critique that. But 98% of the time when you think he wasn't clear, he was clear. What it is is his detractors and his critics slandered him, spun it, and then created artificial confusion. And then everybody walks away thinking, man, the Pope is just so unclear. Well, only because of his detractors. <laughs> I don't know if you saw our video on the synod of synodality, but um, we talked about that. And that right? I talked about, I started the video by talking about the dubia and how I love those cardinals. But now I'm at the point where I'm not taking their side because they severely misrepresented the Pope to, to a point yeah. that shocked me, quite frankly. It that shocked was. me how much they misrepresented the Pope, what they said he said, and then what he actually said. And so I try to put into context for people what people are saying about the Pope and what he actually said. He came down. I mean, I was perhaps surprised that he came down so frankly on the side of orthodoxy and so staunchly. He said he can't bless sin, can't ordain women. He said that for a while now. Like he's upholding the tradition of the church, everything that they want to do but aren't doing. And they still don't. They still have a problem he, with it. They still misrepresented even, him. And he even put into the code of canon law that you're excommunicated automatically if you attempt to ordain a woman. And his right-hand man in this very book right here, Cardinal Fernandez, called and this is the book called Francis Project, once again reaffirms women cannot be ordained. The very guy that a lot of the pseudo-traditionalists are slandering, that Pope Francis has recently chose to be head of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. They've been slandering him. Well, Cardinal Fernandez, once again, reaffirms the traditional teaching of the church, but you won't hear about that from Catholic media, unfortunately. And what about Bishop Schneider? A lot of people say, well, Bishop Schneider condemns the Pope. Bishop Schneider condemns the Pope as if that's supposed to prove something. Well, uh, depends on what we mean by condemns the Pope. So, I mean, he believes that the Pope is the Pope. So there, there's that. But <laughs> that's, that's about as that's that's about as far as it goes. Uh, he he also did also sign the document with Strickland that the Pope teaches heresy and Desiderio Desideravi. Um, he has recently come out with a catechism, uh, his own catechism, that is uh, very clearly trying to rival the catechism of the Catholic Church as it attempts to correct the catechism of the Catholic Church. It accuses Vatican II of teaching error, um, and it itself teaches plenty of theological error on, on a lot of doctrines. But not only that, it also accuses the Pope of teaching heresy in the catechism. Um, and then on top of it, even most disturbingly, it redefines what the word schism actually is. So it redefines the concept of schism, and that's definitely disturbing because it ends up by redefining what schism is it ends up covering its own tracks because it itself is promoting material schism um so in order to cover that up they redefine the term so it's not as clear that this um project is promoting materially uh, a schismatic position and so that was probably the most alarming thing in addition to again accusing the pope of teaching heresy and Bishop Snyder was a good man, uh, but he seems to have been led astray by the SSPX and he's become sympathetic to that side. Almost, I might even say he's, I mean, not formally, but it seems like he's become part of that sect, doesn't it? 
Well, see, here's another thing. I mean, and I've interviewed him as well, and he seems like a really nice guy. So I'm going to assume he loves Jesus and he's sincere. But here's another case where a person has been sincerely misled. Now, I think he's a little bit more theologically developed um, than maybe perhaps a Strickland. Uh, so might might there be a little bit more awareness on Schneider's part? Most likely. Um, I, th I think that he has, a, you know, so there there might be some more awareness there. That being said, um, he he definitely has bought into all of the tenets of the SSPX. In, in fact, I cannot distinguish Schneider from the SSPX. It's a there's a hundred percent unity in what they're saying. So, in other words, Schneider is an SSPX bishop right now who is still currently, at least on paper, in communion with the Holy See. Uh, whereas the SSPX bishops are not in full communion um, on paper, uh, nor in reality. <clears throat> so it's a little odd because here we, we kind of have this limbo situation where we do have a bishop who has adopted effectively the SSPX position, uh, but on paper is still said to be an auxiliary bishop. Which is hugely problematic because it's confusing people from the top down. It's confusing yeah. people who he's giving talking points of why the church is wrong. Then they're repeating it to others. They're repeating it to others. They're repeating it to others. Yeah. And it's the same thing from Altman down, Strickland down. All these people are now just parroting, but without going back and doing the actual research. And I find that very yeah. problematic. You know, Pope Francis made Schneider um, uh, commissioned him to kind of oversee some discussions a while back with the SSPX. And I just suspect that in that process, he became very much indoctrinated with the position of the SSPX and he ended up adopting it himself. To be fair, they're really good at that. I mean, if a Jehovah's Catholic talks to a Jehovah's Witness about the Bible, they lose almost every time because the Jehovah's Witnesses know their Bible well, and they know it, they interpret it in a way that nobody ever has. So even if you hear it, you're like, that actually sounds true, but I, it doesn't sound true, but I can't mm -hmm. defeat it. And it's the same thing with Radtrads. They have their arguments so pristine and so clear, and even though they're not accurate, and they're in the wrong, the way they're, they're, they're so polished and the way they come across, it convinces people that they're true. If you really don't know better, which I think is a large part of these bishop problems that are going on right now. Yeah, certainly. I, I would agree. Yeah. Um, so in, uh, before we leave, uh, people are going to be asking, okay, the Pope is clearly removing all of these good bishops. Their words. But he's not doing anything about Germany. He's not doing anything about James Martin. He's not doing anything about anyone else. Why? Like, isn't there some hypocrisy going on there? Hmm. You know, there's um, there's some legitimacy to to that criticism to an extent. You know, I, I can get I, I can get on board with it to an extent, and 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 I can be sympathetic to it. And so, um, perhaps there could be more consistency here. Uh, perhaps there needs to be more discipline with some German bishops. You know, Pope Francis in his magisterium has said what the German bishops are doing is wrong. He has multiple times told them, stop doing what you're doing. We don't need another Protestant Reformation in Germany. Uh, so he's told them, basically, you guys are Protestant. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> he said those things, but at some point, oh, talk is cheap. You, you got you got to back it up. You got to put teeth behind it. And I do think that the difference, however, between that situation and maybe a Strickland is Strickland is only one man and only one bishop. Now, when it comes to Germany, 
you have an entire Episcopal conference that you now need to discipline. If he were to, let's say, replace the vast majority of that entire Episcopal conference, what would you have? You would immediately have overnight another parallel church. Um, because most of those bishops probably are not going to vacate their cathedrals or their churches. They're going to maintain those properties, which would then mean they're going to maintain many of the parishioners, the parishioners who just don't know and don't care. They would just go along with them. And that would then mean that all of the new bishops that you appoint have to start from scratch um, and, you know, do what they can to salvage, you know, the few faithful remaining uh, Catholics there in Germany. And you know what? It, it may be that we're at the situation where that's what we need to do. But at that point, you've already lost any opportunity of healing that division with the Germans. As soon as they're cut off and they're doing their own thing, that thing is never going to be brought back to the church. Because again, how many schisms that we've had historically have been healed? Not many. We're still dealing with schisms that go back to the 400s. Still dealing with those. We got other schisms that developed in the second millennium with the Eastern Orthodox. And now another schism in Germany for the 16th century with the Protestant Reformation. None of those have been healed. Not fully, at least. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you excommunicate that entire Episcopal Conference, you have lost any attempt at healing that potential schism. It could be that we're already at the point where the situation is lost. It's going to be. I think it is be. personally. Maybe, maybe, but you know what? I with Pope Francis being the Pope in Rome with all of the information that he has, I imagine he has a perspective that you and I haven't taken into account yet. So it could be that he's just saying, "Well, we 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 want to avoid that. Let's see if we can do dialogue. Let's see if we can discuss this further. Let's see if this synod on synodality helps rein some of this stuff back in." I think that's the idea of let's just try to continue to dialogue. I don't know. Maybe that will work. Maybe that will help. Maybe the church in Germany's loss at this point. We need to just cut our losses and cut the thing off. I, I, that's not my call to make, though. No, but, notice that, but notice that situation is very different than disciplining a bishop strictly. Very different. If you discipline Bishop Strickland, you don't have a parallel church. Strickland is not going and creating his own parallel church, at least not yet. And I sure hope he never does. And he indicates he doesn't have any plan to. I hope that never changes. Now, again, if if he does, though, that's just still one bishop attempting to create a parallel church. It's unlikely that will gain any real traction historically. But an entire Episcopal conference, and it's not just them, it's also the Flemish bishops. So now you got all those that you you if you're going to do this with Germany, you got to cut also those Flemish bishops off. And now what do we do? It's a tough call for a pope, but obviously that situation is different than the situation with Strickland. Yeah, and uh, there's so it goes so much deeper than this. We're just scratching the surface on these topics, and um, I give a lot of overviews of these things. Mike likes to take deep deep dives into, um, you know, reading their documents, reading what the pope actually said, reading what Robert Bellarmine actually said, Padre Pio actually said. This is what's called, it's a word we like to use around here, 
it's called facts. You know, like, it's <laughs> yeah. going to the, it's called primary sources. It's not reading what other people said in the media. It's not reading what sensationalized sources have said. It's not, you know, like LifeSite News. I, I would, I don't even know how ca- any Catholic reads anything by LifeSite News anymore. Like they've been so radicalized, they, they can't even be trusted. Same thing with one Peter five and a lot of other places that you, you know, perhaps were good Catholic places at one time, but are not anymore. And so uh, a lot of times it's just good to go to the sources. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's why Michael exists to, you know, debunk these things. His expertise is in the papacy and the magisterium, which is not most people's expertise, even in the hierarchy. Um, that's also why we exist here at Catholic Truth, because we don't care about opinions. I don't even care about my opinion. I just want to know what's true and what the church teaches. And we are going to represent what the church teaches, and we're always going to be on the side of the church. That's why we've always said that Catholic Truth is a place where anyone from anywhere, from any religion, at any time can come to know exactly what the church teaches, why, and how it can change your life. So I'm going to put all of his um information in the description section below. I highly suggest you follow him. Um, it's one of the few YouTube channels I watch. Uh, and I, if you want to follow him on social media, uh, Instagram, TikTok, anything else, wherever he's found, I will put it all down there below. But Michael, thank you for joining us and sharing um, your you. insights on this today. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor, Brian. And thank you all for joining us as well. We appreciate it. Check out our show description notes below. Uh, If you want Michael or myself to come in, speak at your parish, give a retreat, check out all of that below. God bless you.